Welcome to Dry Clean Only, conversations on fashion and style. I'm Kristen Cole, and this is episode 8, where I sit with one of my very favorite New York designers, Brian Lobo of Tome Fame, on his sustainable design and consulting business, what he's been up to, food, cocktails, art, and activism. New York Fashion Week Fall 22 has officially wrapped since my conversation with Ryan. It, you know, maybe wasn't the most exciting of fashion weeks as we are still in some pandemic limbo, um, but there were still a lot of, you know, great moments. Some designers staged physical shows, some presented digitally and virtually. There were a number of big names missing from the schedule. Um, but yeah, some, some interesting moments, um, starting with the dressed and all dresses, Laquan Smith's super sexy black dress that Julia Fox wore to open his show. Uh, that was probably the highlight of the week. Such a brilliant move, such an amazing dress. Um, I'm not personally one for showing under boob, but, uh, I mean, I have two young sons who would be mortified, but I would opt for, um, this amazing black dress with, these strategic cutouts on the waist by Bevsa, um, another great designer. And I just, I mean, I personally love any long sleeve black dress, long black dress, so gorgeous. Um, but yeah, the Laquan Smith was pretty insane. And I'm trying to figure out who did the jewelry on that collection as well. It's really beautiful. Uh, the balloon skirts at Proenza were so gorgeous and have me really feeling skirts again. The trousery column skirts that Marion Messier's that day look amazing as well. Peter Doe put on a beautiful show. Um, and his team are just doing such phenomenal work. I always want their coats. Um, the Row, which released its lookbook but is showing in Paris, um, released a really interesting collection for Fall 22. I really I want to wear all of it. It was, you know, very surprising color choices for the Row. Uh, really interesting styling, and yeah, I'm just really excited to see what they're doing. Uh, Elena Vela seemed to be the breakout star of the week. Uh, she has these really aggressively delicate pieces. She comes from Wisconsin. It just seemed to um, get a lot of attention. And I hate the word trends, especially now. It feels really dated. Um, I've reported on trends many times, you know, throughout my career, but in, in, so I'm going to use a different word instead of trends. I'm just going to say we are seeing a lot of suiting, uh, some really fantastic three-piece suits, which are having a moment. Oversized jackets seem to be here to stay. Uh, a lot of great leather pieces and sheen in the collections. Um, there was a shimmery sheer dress that opened the Eckhouse Latte show. Um, that was a, a standout to me. I definitely want that. Lots of lace-trimmed silk slip dresses. Um, still plenty of black in the collections. There's no surprise there. Um, and yeah, overall, I feel like the New York Fashion Week schedule just provided maybe a little more joy and optimism than we've seen in the past or in the recent past. And there was definitely this kind of like relaxed ease that felt very cool and very of the moment to me. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of things that I liked. Um, with that, let's get to our conversation with the always inspiring, super lovely Ryan Lobo. Hello. Hello, how are you? 
How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm really well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the pod. Of course. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm really honored. Thank oh, you. It's so, it's so nice of you. And I'm, yeah, I'm just so excited to chat through so many things. First of all, um, I hope we get to do our art walk next month. Is that going to happen? Yeah, okay. it'll happen. I'm pretty I, flexible. I noted it in my, in my calendar. So we, yeah. will, we will get there. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so many things. Well, first of all, are you playing Wordle? No. So I actually didn't even understand that question. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Ryan, this is, this is like, is this the some thing kind of right like pod speak that I don't get? You know, I wish. Um, I don't, I don't think I know any really good pod terms yet, but um, no, Wordle is this game that the New York Times just bought. I don't know who the creator was, okay. um, but it's very addictive. It's not an app. Don't go down and download something because a lot of people do that and they're very confused. Okay. But this is just a little um, word game and it's very addictive. I play mm-hmm. it every morning at 6 a.m. As soon as I wake up, I can't wait. Okay. Me, my husband and my 10 year old are all playing it. And we kind of like try to see who gets it the quickest, but everyone is playing it. It's just this weird thing and I'm obsessed with it. So amazing. Okay, I'll I'll definitely check it out i trust everything that you do so you know i'll be there give it give it a whirl okay so you are back in new york city and yeah i wanted to chat with you because i've watched you on instagram you know travel the world during the pandemic how does it feel to be back in new york it's a really nice thing to return home after any period of travel yeah and especially um after a really long period, I basically left New York for most of 2020 and part of 2021. And I was fortunate to do so and spent most of my time traveling all the way through Mexico um, with a little time in Spain as well. And um, I saw you in Mexico City and I had a lot of FOMO for that. That looks- Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very special place and maybe my spiritual home I'm not sure I've never been but I'm dying to go it looks like the most incredible city it's very special it's very cosmopolitan of course you know people make a place which is also why it's lovely to come home to New York um and you know the people in Mexico are wonderful the people in Mexico City particularly are incredibly worldly very sophisticated um you know, the art, music, food scene, of the course. The food looks incredible, you know? yeah. And, of course, Mexico is the land of um, craft and ceramics, which is my absolute obsession. So it was it was a, not to digress from why I'm happy about being back in New York, because I definitely yeah. am, um, but it was a really wonderful time, and I felt very fortunate to spend so much time um, safely travelling. Yeah. Through, uh, through a period where a lot of people didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but it is really nice to be in New York. You know, New York is a place of extremes. Yeah. And I have to say, I was never somebody who really chased summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but having missed a complete winter season here, I was, I'm very grateful. And being back in the thick of that, Ooh, it's, yeah. it's shocking, right? Yeah. Like, and so this has I, been a tough one. It has. And I yeah. think, in fact, I missed probably the mildest winter that New York's had in a long time, you know. Yeah. But again, you know, it people make the place and 
you know, I'm an art fiend like you are. And so it's been so great to be back in the city and seeing all of the wonderful shows that have um, happened over the last six months. And, you know, I saw some dance last week. I've got some theatre mm-hmm. coming up. So cool. New York is definitely just... the city for all of those. Cultural immersion. So, yeah. 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 It's, so it's really exciting to be here in that sense. And of course, you know, I've lived here for 10 years. So I have chosen family here yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's home. So it's, it's lovely. Back. Are you in the East Village? I, I lived in the East Village for the longest time, but now I'm on the Lower East Side. So oh, okay. Whereabouts? Of, uh, I'm basically at uh, East River Park and Grand okay. Street. So sort of okay. far, it's yeah. kind of a, a little bit of a strange geography, but it's kind of yeah. far Chinatown, Lower yeah. East Side, on the water. So it's really lovely. Cool. I yeah. think I know exactly where you are. Um, yeah, I used to live well, Lower East Side ages ago and East Village as well for a long time before mm-hmm. I moved to LA. I lived on A between 3rd and 4th. And yeah, mm-hmm. I just, I love the East Village and, and the Lower East Side. Yeah, it's got so much. It's such a neighborhood. Completely. And it's got this quintessential New York character. Yes. Full of characters. Yes. And full of character. And just shops and happenings and just weird little things that you look at and you were like how does that person make money and pay their rent with that funny little establishment and I think that's a wonderful thing that in you know the very changed city completely that that you know like little voices can exist you know and um, whether they thrive or not is another question but the fact that that all of the character of New York has not been pushed out. I know. It's really important. Yeah, because... it's really nice. I always think that when I go back to like Alphabet City in the Far East Village, I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, nothing's changed. There's the same little craft stores and little, mm-hmm. you know, funny little vegetarian, you know, markets. And it's just really um, trapped in time in a really wonderful way. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's um, disheartening to see that, you know, people aren't being pushed out yeah no big time especially yeah. especially now what are some of your favorite places to hang and eat drink all of that in your neighborhood so in my current neighborhood I'm currently just dis- discovering it but because I'm close so close to Chinatown yeah I'm the dumpling king and okay. the noodle king so, spi- so spicy village is my place okay I have the t-shirt and the tote bag and amazing spicy there. village all right yeah it's really really good um I love dim sum a go-go I love that too that's so which good. is you know just like so easy and clean and yeah. everyone's really friendly and yeah. by clean I mean really clean food yeah but I really like a bar called a bar and restaurant called Ernesto's which okay. is kind of an upscale Spanish place with mm, a really nice that. cocktail list um what's what's your cocktail jam uh I'm pretty embarrassing when it comes to cocktails and look I take, Cosmos. I, I take my sex in the city cues <laughs> or I take my and just like that cues you know and exactly um I drink Cosmos that's amazing I can't believe I guessed that <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's how predictable I am so Cosmos um I love a Manhattan because you know yeah. in Manhattan exactly um, but they, that can get dangerous after two I know those are strong I like Negronis Lethal. a lot too but same thing yeah. I'm kind of on my ass pretty quickly yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Imme- immediately and you know 
to get even more basic and embarrassing <laughs> I love an espresso martini so oh my god but that's that amazing. sort of that's my trinity of cocktails embarrassing as it is I love that that's really great but it's actually nice. Nice so, of you to admit it on the pod. Oh, look, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm that person. But I actually discovered in Greece on holiday this last summer, Yeah, maybe one of the most elegant cocktails I've ever had, which is a caperberry martini. Ooh, and that sounds amazing. have emulated it with friends since, yeah. since being back. But, you know, the capers in the Mediterranean are something else. And oh, so wow. I'm making it out of sort of, caper juice yeah it's so like a know, dirty martini of... sub the olive for the caper berry exactly so it's very elegant and I like love that you know a little sprig of rosemary as well so you know it's very oh, easy nice. to make but you know just to up the ante on um the cool factor with my cocktails I love so, that yeah. that's good good yeah. you, you you redeemed yourself redeemed. with that yeah, yeah. Good. Good, good. <laughs> I love I love to put herbs in cocktails I have a little mm. herb garden and that is like my oh, favorite thing so nice. to put a little sprig of mint or you know whatever it is it's so Beautiful. nice okay so we're here in New York Fashion Week mm-hmm um, I'm largely sitting this one out. I've just been, you know, so tired. And I mean, we had COVID in our household and I mean, it's just been uh, a pretty rough winter. So, you know, I'm kind of watching everything right now. I don't know. How are you feeling about this fashion week? Are you, are you so happy to not be showing? How do you feel about it? I have very mixed feelings. It's a really, it's, it's, it's way too big question even to answer yeah. let alone a conversation to unpack properly in the no, time totally. that we have I understand that business has to move forward for sure and you know I think everybody who has a business small or large is doing everything they can to battle through uncertain times yeah it's very hard to run a business through this time yeah whenever people asked when I had my own brand tone which is now paused um who my heroes were they were honestly without giving sort of design references or aesthetic choices it was like anybody who had been in business for a certain amount of time I was like hats off to those people because it's really it's really um it's a lot yeah and um so I commend everybody who's battling through but the reality of fashion in the world today and what our industry is doing to impact and hasten climate change is yeah. the the other side of the coin if you will it's really troubling you I know? know and how do we how do we as people who've worked for most of our lives in the fashion industry come to terms with that impact and also find a way forward to not jump to the solution because I also don't think this is a a very fleshed out solution but you know we are creative people we're designers we're thinkers we're innovators yeah and so we have to be the ones to find the solution the creative solution you know and I totally agree with that I think we're looking at a at an industry that has a lot of elements that are um largely redundant and no longer function in a a healthy and well-formed way for the world we live in Um, there's you know there's there's too many designers and as much as I love so many designers and you know so many are 
friends and colleagues and people I've carried for many years, you know, when you really look at the entire landscape of fashion design globally, there are so many fashion designers. And so, you know, we have a, we have a crowded market and then so many things, and then you layer in all of the DTC brands and the, you know, fast fashion and all this. And it's like, it's an overwhelming amount being produced. So there's just like, Completely. And, it, and we know it's sort of suffocating the planet. So when somebody asks me a question about my own brand, which, you know, existed in the, this new, relatively new paradigm of yeah. slow fashion, yeah. I am okay with it not being around because as much as we were working towards this solution, that, this amorphous solution that we're all... A responsible, questioning thoughtful brand. ...talking about, but still, it's okay if it's not here because all fashion is part of the problem, really. Yeah, you know? I know, everything is a is a contribution. And look, I know that there's a lot of global guilt created through PR marketing by yeah. the oil and gas industry, yeah. um, where we all feel responsible for our tiny part, which is really, um, you know without any pun, um, a drop right. in the ocean compared to say, yeah. what big business is doing and, sure. you know, and that, and that global and big guilt. oil. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that yeah. global guilt was manufactured precisely. So we would be concerned with our part That's and perhaps ignore yeah. the bigger picture, you know, let the fashion of, people run around and chase their tails while big right. oil continues to. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so of course we have a part to play. So Long story short, or yeah. a convoluted answer, um, I'm very happy <laughs> to sit out Fashion Week. You know, yeah. it's a it's a model that is not really necessarily in step with um, what fashion means in the world anymore. Yeah. I think, and you know, everything's changed so much. Yeah, and why people buy fashion and beauty, and it's a lot of marketing noise. Yeah, as well, you know, yeah. and I wonder who and which purposes it's serving it's a pretty complicated question I'd love to um I'd love to ask designers small and large who are thriving and are mm -hmm. still showing in yeah. a very uh standard or traditional sense you know runway shows or presentations and ask them how purposeful it is for them and how it functions in their business no, um, totally we sort of stepped off that treadmill a while ago so I don't want to um I'm almost an outsider now looking looking at yeah. that world and yeah. um, thinking it's strange. Yeah. Thinking, you know, like, you know, in, in all design industries, things move pretty fast and sometimes fashion is a little slow on the uptake. You know? Well, so, absolutely. It's, it's funny for being fashion and, you know, being right. forward Setting in so many ways. And, yeah. yeah it, there's also a lot of, um, a lot of lag. Part of it is, you know, and I think people like you and me were able to, you know, step back and see a little bit more easily because we aren't caught up in the minutia of the everyday. And I do understand how much just, you know, you're always buying six months ahead, you're designing six months ahead, you're just like on you know, that fashion hamster wheel. And mm. a lot of people just can't see the forest for the trees, right? It's just like, it's business as usual. So yeah, and these are really philosophical times that yeah. I think everybody is finding themselves in, you know, yeah, we've had, um, we've, we've had permission to pause, we've had 
a pause forced upon us in so yeah. many ways, you know, because of global health crisis, because of climate change that is hurtling towards us in the it's scariest so scary. time frame it's imaginable. So scary. Yeah. And as humans, you know, we know we have a finite time on this planet. You yeah. know, scientists are already saying we've entered the sixth mass extinction. So our time is done. I the know. earth will be here well beyond exactly us. i know it's so not like, save the planet it's maybe try to save humanity but, right yeah. right so what's 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 our legacy what's fashion's yeah. legacy that's a really open-ended question um well it's funny obviously i carried tome for many years at 10 over six and by george and maybe at 45 10 i don't remember I think, yes yeah. yeah so so yeah i carried it for so many years i'm super well versed in the line i loved it just thought it was a very kind of strong I don't know, intelligent kind of collection, you know, very thoughtful. But I was reading in an interview uh, just before we were talking, I just wanted to poke around. And you mentioned three of your favorite all-time style icons, which are my exact ones. So I was dying, but you said Diana Vreeland, Tina Chow, and Nina Simone. Oh, wow. How fabulous. I know. I love them. What, tell, me, tell me what they, you know, say to you in, in terms of style. Look, I guess Diana Vreeland is the legend of all legends. Yeah. And especially speaking of, you know, what fashion has been, she mm. really hearkens to a bygone era of yeah. um, not just the glamour of that time, but also a curiosity about the context of fashion in the art world, in yeah. culture, in theatre, in dance. Like, she was such a smart and curious force, force absolutely yeah. like a force of fashion and a bower bird you know she yeah. borrowed from everywhere and yeah. nothing was too ridiculous yeah. or um too uh lo-fi if you will to be included in her a vision. lot of fun with fashion and very yeah. bold and provocative and you know said crazy things you know I just I adored her yeah, yeah. just just you know her um, her Vreeland isms, I think yeah. they're called, or whatever, yeah. however they're termed. Um, so wild, really sort of set the standard for a fashion editor. Totally. Even um, the pictures of her offices and everything. Like, I'm like, I want to just live in that moment, you know, just right. so, so chic, so many. Yeah, she, like, I love her, her cork covered walls, all, you know, covered in images and yeah, really yeah. an inspired woman. And just a taste level. And look, I'm not really somebody who buys into what's good taste and what's bad taste. Right. You know, it's all taste. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah. But um, as far as, you know, and I think she and I think she would even speak to that, you know, like totally. so many wild references and things that were so unexpected. Like I yeah. think as much as she was, she is now considered establishment. I also think she was kind of an oddball, you know. So and yeah. Um kind of you know adjacent to society but not of it and yeah. really not of her time as well yeah. I think she was really inspiring forward. in that sense you know very yeah, yeah very forward like yeah. like insanely so and I think Tina Chow that's a good um segue into her because she was extremely forward thinking and also borrowed from the past because I yeah. mean I don't know of anybody else who um was so important in making vintage fashion yeah credible yeah you know and yeah. borrowing from 
designers from you know 50 60 years before her time and wearing those clothes and of course and the men's wear to... and the accessories yes, yes. Yeah. and obviously she was who she was she looked the way she did as well so that didn't she was um, blessed deter with her that. from the yeah. cause yeah. yeah she was blessed with very good looks but yeah but like just really really unique style and also and all of these women you know like even though Diana was in the fashion industry these are people without stylists these are women who are buying things at flea markets and borrowing from friends and perhaps they had great access I think that's why so many of these women you know that we look to you know in bygone eras who who we consider style icons obviously there's a large lexicon of them that we all kind of cull from but they they had a sense of individuality and mm-hmm. that is something with all the you know power stylists and you know all of the you know loaning of clothes and everything that goes on today there is a little mm-hmm. bit of a homogeny that goes on and everyone looks good but you know which ones actually have really great style yeah who, who's driving the cart if you will yeah. you know and and that's a good segue I guess into Nina as well because yeah. you know she was definitely doing it all herself oh, yeah. and borrowing from it in a way that Tina did but not from sort of the the canons of fashion but Nina was borrowing from so many different cultures and African yeah. roots and African-American culture that was alive evolving so rapidly you know when she was you know hugely influential and you know like she definitely speaks to my interests in politics yeah. and feminism yeah and well yeah you were I mean you were weaving activism into tome for sure um and and yeah Nina Simone's a great example of someone you know putting activism right into their art um how did how did you how did you and how do you see that interplay between you know design and art and being able to speak to larger issues uh if it comes from the heart I think it's authentic I hear the term authenticity bandied around a lot at the moment. And somebody very smart said to me recently, because I see it also in a lot of um, brand bios, you know, and a very smart person said to me, it's not for the brand to choose. It's for the, it's for the viewer. It's for the, it's for the client. It's for the customer. And it's for the, and I think that's a a really important thing to note at the moment, because if, feminism and you know for me feminism art and the history of fashion were the three cornerstones of tome and you know art specifically made by women and they were all they're all the they're the three things that make me tick that I care about you know so it was never strategically delineated that we would make those the the brand DNA it just evolved that way yeah that that's we what had, I'm doing here. Yeah, we had a yeah. brand for 10 years, but we'd also talked about all of yeah. the things that we cared about together, my business yeah. partner and I, Roman Martin, for 10 years prior, you know. Yeah. So conceptually, philosophically, the term ethos and uh, woman was already fully formed before a single yeah. pen was put to paper or yeah. a single garment was even manifested in our brain. So, yeah. um, so how to bring activism into... Fashion, it's also a fine line between activism and exploitation, as we know. Yeah. And um, something that I think that we hauled off was a white, the White Shirt Project. Which, yeah, um, I remember that. 
which was in support of Freedom for All Foundation, which is a cause that fights human trafficking and modern-day slavery around the world, which is an issue that is so deeply entrenched in the fashion world as well. So so um, we tried to raise attention and money for this cause that is so sort of unfashionable and and underrepresented in our industry but you know it's endemic and it it obviously transcends our industry it's a huge global issue but when we're talking about people and planet it was such an important thing so that's why we created this project and it wasn't about press yeah it wasn't about making money for the brand or getting a foothold in into some areas it was purely about a cause that we cared about and we were so blessed that so many people also cared about it you know some really high high profile people everybody from you know Iman to Isabella Rossellini to Solange Knowles to Amal Clooney cared about it as well you know and gave their time you know and nobody got paid for that exchange you know I I just think it's so I, I think well I think without even saying it, saying it explicitly, you know, this is what you're saying. And I think this is exactly what's so interesting about activism in art is it starts that conversation, right? And people right. get get involved in the conversation for pure, authentic, real reasons, right? And, you know, I remember when you did that project and we sold it in the stores, I remember, you know, kind of as a buyer, fashion director, whatever, you're always going to, you know, impart knowledge from every market and fashion week your sales associates and so everyone can speak to the inspiration behind each line and you know this is what we're going for and these are the materials and here are the you know things of note when you're talking to customers and clients that is you know that conversation right so you're spreading that interesting knowledge and raising awareness and now all of these other people are talking even on the sales floor you know to the end customer so it really does just create this like lovely kind of organic conversation that amplifies, right? Yeah, yeah. And those conversations that are that have a huge groundswell now give me hope, yeah. you know? Like uh, as much as we talked, I mentioned, I, I used the word exploitation earlier. I also think there's so many genuine, authentic conversations happening with fashion brands out there, especially in the wake of the Great Awakening you yeah. know, from, from two years ago, almost two years ago now. I think it's imperative that as fashion designers or system designers, however we want to um, term ourselves in this new paradigm, that we move through our work with a sense of the culture and our times and a sensitivity to how we can impact and what sort of impact we have. Totally. With Tome, do you think you are on pause do you think you're pivoting into something new where do you see Um, yourself right now uh we paused home basically at the mouth of the pandemic and as I mentioned I've been traveling and now I'm back in New York and I'm working with a slew of different brands helping them on their sustainable journeys cool and so right now for the tome story as beloved as it is to many people and of course to us the pause is indefinite yeah I don't feel a huge uh, imperative to personally put more things into the world 
yeah. if you will, you know. Yeah. And and if I do, and that, yeah. then sure, you know, never say yeah. never. Of course. Um, I'm I'm feeling really uh, encouraged and satiated to use all of the accumulated wisdom of you know 25 plus years yeah. of working in fashion and having my own thing. Yeah. Um, to to bring that to other brands who are on their learning curve, yeah. you know, whether that the beginning of it or well into it and yeah. seeing what sort of impact we can make and using that kind of community because I think yeah. collaboration is key right yeah. now. And Absolutely. I don't think any anybody um, sort of on their, at a very singular journey is as successful as those who have this wealth of this sharing economy that we're For all sure. in right now, you know? For sure. Um, so never say never, but right now the pause continues. Yeah, yeah. I just signed up for um, a class at Columbia on decarbonization in practice mm-hmm. and procedure. And I'm just curious. I don't, I don't really know how I would work more sustainably because I don't really feel like it goes hand in hand with retail. But um, right. But yeah, I've been kind of curious to learn a little more and, you know, just maybe spark some new ideas and perspectives and all of that. And it's so, it's a very humbling thing for, yeah. as I said, people like us who've yeah. worked in fashion and retail our yeah. entire careers, or yeah. most of them, yeah. to understand the impact our industry has in a very real way. It's sobering. Um, it's sobering. Very sobering. And, yeah. and when I thought about the, you know, hundreds of thousands of SKUs I was selling, you know, and all of the stores and the, you know, global climate impact that, you know, I was playing my part in, I just, you know, especially through the pandemic, I was like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what else to do, but I don't want to do that anymore. What would be your all time, like dream job in fashion or outside of fashion? Oh, I think I would love to be a food writer. I mean, eating is my passion. I'm like pretty into eating too. Like I wouldn't be mad at like a food critic job. Like that would be pretty, pretty fun, I think. Oh, I think to be paid or otherwise, to just sit and eat all day long or whatever food critics do, I think would be amazing. Have you read Ruth Reichel's um, Save Me the Plums? Oh, no, I don't know about it. It's very good. It's very good. Yeah. She was the New York Times uh, food critic at one point, but it's very good. All right. What else do I have? Oh, do you have any new skills or habits or hobbies you've picked up over the past couple weird years? Do I have any strange habits, hobbies? (laughs) Well, I will tell you, you told me one thing about being able to travel the world in, you know, with 12 pieces of clothing or something, which seems like actually a pretty amazing skill. So I've never really been anybody who knows how to pack lightly. I'm always the, the person with, you know. All the trunks. All the trunks. And then even more on my on my return home with a box of ceramics that I'm either carrying or shipping or a blanket Amazing. or whatever it is. Amazing. And somehow, because of circumstance, because of traveling, because of lots of light aircraft across Mexico, yeah. I traveled with a bag and it had so few things in it. it. I almost didn't know myself. And I washed and wore all of those clothes for a year and a half. I, Incredible. I mended them. I, I hand For a fashion them. person, that really is. like Right, right. Pretty and awesome. It, and, and to refer back to what we were just saying about the 
numbers of SKUs that we were responsible for putting out into the world yeah. and for selling yeah. to realize how little one person actually needs to survive. Yeah. It also speaks to a, a notion I somehow knew before even hearing about the conversation about, you know, um, ecologically and ethically sound clothing was I always knew that, you know, investing in the right yeah. pieces of clothing was an important thing. Yeah. I don't know if that was instinct, probably, yeah. Um, yeah. in hindsight. But um, they were all, all of the pieces I had with me were things that lasted. And when they didn't last, you know, I would mend them when they yeah. fall apart at the seams or they'd get a hole like, you know, a yeah. piece of um, fabric can. But it was a really gratifying exercise that was not planned, that just, not by any contrivance, it just happened organically. I love that. And um, it was a lesson in not having stuff or not needing more yeah. than the most basic yeah. things to exist. I love know? that. And, and also, you know, travelling and not having, you know, I put all my stuff in storage. And not having stuff around. Yeah. When I unpacked it all, when I got my new apartment in New York last year, as much as I love my things, I also kind of didn't care about any of it, you know? It is interesting. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. That's that's so cool. Well, first of all, you should you should like write an article or some 12 real essentials or I don't right, know. Right, there, there's right. something really interesting there because that is... And that is extreme, you know. And, and they were already in our wardrobes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love this idea of yeah. shopping and living out of our wardrobes. Uh, that's that's yeah. like what I do these days. And, and I did a, a more contrived version of that. But throughout 2020, I just like everything changed so much for me. I was thinking so differently about things. I was writing a lot. I felt like a different person. And so I only wore black and I, that was like by design. Cause I was mm -hmm. like, if I only wear black, I won't want to shop. And I didn't because I already right. have a thousand black jeans and turtlenecks and yeah. black t-shirts. So I just wore black for like a year. And it was kind of like, I think the um, like fashion detox that I needed to stop mm -hmm. wanting things to stop caring so much, you know, and it really, I, I don't only wear black anymore. I definitely wear some color, right. but, um, but it really, it really worked on me. And like for a year, I didn't buy anything and it was amazing. It's really amazing. That's very inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I like had to do something. Um, well, I only have one more question for you, which is, have you seen any good art lately? Oh, I've seen a bunch of art that Great. I have Give loved, me a couple of the loved. highlights. Yeah. I don't know if it's still open, but Jennifer Packer at the Whitney is mm. insanely beautiful. Two new shows at the Guggenheim, um, Jenny C. Jones, um, who's an abstract painter, and Gillian Waring, who's one of the YBA artists, um, you know, who sort of shot to fame in the 90s. And it is honestly one of the most amusing shows I've seen in so long, you know, Art so, is not often funny. It's very serious. Yeah, and it's, yeah. she's just so funny and whimsical and weird. And it's just such Amazing. a clever show. Cool. Um, I would also say A Trillion Sunsets that just opened at the ICP, at the International oh, cool. Centre for Photography. For many reasons. never go there. I need to do oh, that. It's so That's good. like always it's kind really, of off my radar. That's a really good call. It's a really great place. And 
They just had a show by Gillian Lorb that's closed. That was wonderful. But this particular show has um, one piece from Hannah Hock, who's one of my favourite artists of all time. Cool. And then I would say Carrie Mae Weems at Jack Shaneman if that show is still okay. up because she's a legend. Cool. But yeah, there's there's a lot out there. Amazing. Well, I look forward to our little art yeah, walk next month. Wait. That'll be fun. And yeah, I'm just dying to get out and get out of this uh, hole that I've been in. So I want to be you'll be our guide to Tribeca. Yeah, yeah. My husband's gallery Broadway's in Tribeca. So John Pistoni is there right now. Um, and Josh Tonsfeld is about to open. And I recently saw Nikita Gale at 52 Walker, which was really good. But there's mm-hmm. so yeah, so many great um, shows going on right now. So yeah, I just can't wait to get out there and I need to take a couple days and do the Whitney and do the Guggenheim and like spend some days again by no contrivance it just sort of happened I've been going to the Met on a Friday Mm. night oh wow um because it's open till nine yeah so basically it's it's not empty but it's relative to you know a Saturday afternoon at the Met and I've seen so many good shows up there and just to wander through the Met which is endless um, is pretty special when it's kind of underpopulated. Yeah, I love that. What did you think of the um, the Costume Institute show? It got a lot of flack. Mm-hmm. I finally saw it very recently. Yeah, um, it's not terribly deep or comprehensive. Right, but I believe it's it's part one of two. Right, right. So I'm really true. interested to see what comes what as comes a sequel. Next. Yeah, I didn't necessarily love the design so much, but there are so many iconic works in yeah um, the exhibition. And you know, people like Claire McCardle, whose work you never get to see, and um, Man Bashir, which I'm yeah. obsessed with. Yeah. you know, so I yeah, was there pretty were some excited. special pieces. Yeah, there's some really special pieces. Yeah. So um, I I liked it more than I didn't like it, if yeah. you will. And I'm excited to see what comes next. So yeah, what amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the pod. Oh, it's such a pleasure. You're a wonderful host, by the way. You, thank it was you. great. Thank, thank you. you. It's so fun. All right. Thank you so much for joining. And I will see you soon, I hope. Take care. Absolutely. All right. All right. Bye.